You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Well, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Courtney Cronin above the weather now. After above. being under the weather. Get it, everyone? It's a great way to start. Nobody uh, likes a springtime cold. Let me just say that. You know, I don't know what the science is, but when the weather changes, everybody gets that same cold. I thought it was allergies at first because I... You mean the pollen is so thick in the air and it's awful and it just makes your my eyes have been bloodshot, my my nose has been watering. That's just because you haven't had enough football. I I think so. I think that that's my body's craving OTAs. <laughs> your body is rejecting no football. <laughs> it's like we must have <laughs> some sort of workouts and we will with organized team activities and we'll have more podcasting to come on our observations from OTAs though always come along with a blinking caution sign to not overreact to anything that you read or hear in organized team activities so I think Edmund Robinson would probably talk about that someone that Zimmer in back-to-back years in OTAs praised and then uh, did not make the team last year so you know Put the, the brakes on, but we will have plenty to talk about things that we're going to be looking for when we get our chance to see them practicing. But first, uh, Courtney, Richie Incognito released by the Buffalo Bills. I have probably gotten 30 people tweeting me or Just emailing had someone tweet me right now. It, yes. Should they be interested in Richie Incognito, the Minnesota Vikings? There is think? interest there. It's not shared by everybody across the board inside the organization. And I think for a number of different reasons that that's the case. Um, obviously, you know, you take a look at where, you know, the reasonable sides that you see this from, he spent, you know, what, four years with Tony Sperano in Miami. I mean, that's, he is the prototype Tony Sperano, mean, nasty, you know, big hunk of mass offensive lineman. And there's certainly, um, you know, the need to, to get somebody who can come in and play right guard right away. Um, does, is he a scheme fit? I don't really know if that's the biggest concern right now because there is, I mean, there's no surprise that there's interest here, but I'm also not surprised that there's a little bit of trepidation given, you know, some of the things that, you know, were he was known for and some of the things that he was accused of um, inside the locker room. And I'm just not sure that the Vikings want to bring that cult into their culture. But uh, it's certainly somebody I think you have to inquire about. I think from the last three years that he mostly kept his nose clean. Mm -hmm. There was someone with the Jaguars in their one playoff game that accused him of saying something that he shouldn't have, but I guess that got worked out or whatever misunderstanding there was, or maybe just two guys competing and trash talking. Uh, But with Incognito's past, you certainly worry about him bringing him in with a couple of really young offensive linemen too it's not just veterans they have several veterans but uh you know with brian o'neill as a tackle with pat elfline you want these guys around good people 
uh, as they grow and develop and become players for a really long time. And Richie Incognito's history makes you wonder if he's the right person to bring in. It's not just the one thing with Jonathan Martin in Miami. It also goes back to being kicked off college teams and early in his career being named the dirtiest player in the NFL and and bouncing from team to team when he was really talented. But this is a Pro Bowl guy who... I think was used a lot in terms of moving in Buffalo, Mm -hmm. like pulling and things like that. I mean, he's more of a power guy because he weighs like 350 pounds and he's not the tallest. So he is more of a, I'm just going to drive you back type of guy. But for someone his size, he is really athletic and he can move really well. The biggest concern I might have, though, would be that he's 35 years old. Yeah, and he's got would, a lot of miles. And this would not be a long term fix. I think it would be an immediate fix for not drafting your right guard in, in April. But there's certainly, with a guy like that, I mean, he's a veteran, he's been around, he has the history with Tony Sperano. I mean, I think he can pick up this system. And as you mentioned, you know, he's athletic, he can get out and block in space within this zone scheme. It would be just fine, um, but then what? Then you're kind of back at square one potentially, unless next year you're already looking towards next year of moving Remmers inside and put keeping you know moving Brian O'Neill to right tackle. So to me, um, something like this and kind of what we're hearing shows that they still want to keep Mike Remmers at right tackle. And as we start OTAs on Wednesday, we're going to find out where he's playing. At least we're going to see in some of you know. It's, it's, you know, this would be a pretty vanilla day, day two of OTAs, but we're going to get to start seeing where he's playing. I mean, maybe even hear from him about, you know, where he wants to play and just kind of what, you know, what the best fit for this offensive line is because I don't know. I feel like we were on the same page that, you know, we didn't walk away feeling totally confident that Brian O'Neill is going to be ready to start at right tackle week one. Yeah, looking at just his body. He's not there yet where other starting tackles are in the NFL. And there's a lot of work that's got to be done while also shoring up some technique issues that were the reasons he dropped in the draft. I mean, if he had really solid technique and was ready with his body, he would have been probably a first-round draft pick considering the absurd athleticism that he has for that position. So he's got a lot of work to do, and that's why he wasn't one of the top picks in the draft. But going back to Incognito, if your offensive line, because Incognito's a left guard, so if your offensive line is Riley Reef, Richie Incognito at left guard, Elf line at center, Nick Easton over Would to the right Would you move Nick side. Easton right guard? Yeah, I think he can. I mean, he moved from center to guard and yeah. did a good job. So if he moved over to right guard, and he'd be practicing it all the way through, you know, from the beginning, and then Mike Remmers at right tackle – I think you're in really good shape there. I think you've got an offensive line that can move, and I think you've got a really nasty offensive line as well. You have five guys that are really competitive, tough guys, and the same would be if you decided to maybe not have Easton as a starter. I think they do want him to be, uh, and maybe move Remmers inside and have Rashad Hill at the tackle. Those would be your two options if they did sign Richie Incognito. And whether it's a good idea or not, I think considering where they are, which is win this year, get as much talent as you possibly can. Sheldon Richardson is not a long-term move. It's a one-year move. I would say that they should make an effort to bring Richie Incognito in to have his, the best offensive line you could possibly have. I do as well. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, but are you saying that you don't think he could play right? He would be a fit for right guard? 
I think I mean, he's more left guard. Sh- the I mean, more, that's where he's playing. Exactly, but I mean, the more shifting you're doing, and I mean, are we sure what state Easton's going to come back in? I mean, we saw the report from Darren Wolfson that Pat Alfline is not going to be ready for OTAs, and that was kind of expected. I, I remember around the time he had a surgery late January, I spoke with his agent, and, you know, there was the cautionary tale of, yeah, you might, you know, we're going to try to take this easy as he goes into April and May, but should be full go by week one. You know, is it, it? Would you say it's too much almost at that point when you're talking about shifting Easton over from left guard to right guard, right guard, right as he's coming off of this ankle surgery? I think if there is a player who could do it, it's him. I mean, he's kind of like the younger version of Joe Berger is the way I look at him now as a guy that isn't exactly the biggest or wasn't a high draft pick or anything like that, but can play multiple positions. Is an extremely intelligent player, very tough player. Uh, so I look at him, and he played all of those positions last year at one point or another in training camp, too, that they had moved him to different spots, sometimes center, sometimes guard. And if you started him off right now, by the time we get to the season, he would probably be in pretty good shape there because he moved over to left guard as the starter kind of on short notice last week, year. Week three of the preseason, right? Wasn't yeah. that right, right ahead of there? It, they played against Seattle, I believe, and he looked really good in that spot, and then they just decided, okay, that's what we're going to go with. That offensive line right there would be, I think, really good. Your left side would be nasty. It really would. From Riley Reeve to Richie Incognito. And, I mean, even Pat Elfline showed flashes of it last year. That would be pretty good. That left side would be one of the toughest in the league, the the guys that you wouldn't want to play against. And considering the fact that they're going to have to go against the Rams, the Eagles, uh, the Saints even stacked up with a first-round draft pick of Marcus Davenport. So when you're looking at the defensive lines that you're going to face, you should make every effort to stack up the line. And that's where we found it to be a mistake that they didn't draft someone in the first round, but you can kind of remedy that, I think, if you uh, draft in, or sign incognito. So looking to OTAs, now you and I both wrote pieces for what we're looking for, and at the very top of my list was the right tackle and offensive line position. So we've kind of just covered that. What else are you looking for when we get out there on the field for OTAs? To be fair, I'm not looking for all that much from Kirk Cousins. I mean, it's, it's May. The, you need to demand excellence from Kirk Cousins. I, I do, and I will, because otherwise we're going to be looking back at you know buyer's remorse or seller's remorse with the Case Keenum thing, um, and that's going to just be annoying to deal with. But the, the the thing that you know the offense is going to be so vanilla for the next few months, even probably even the first week or two of the season. Um, as it was explained to me once, it's called taking things down to level dumb. Um, where everyone is on the same page because you have the two most two most important positions on this offense have new faces. John DeFilippo's system, which, yes, we know a lot of the terminology and the verbiage is going to be the same here uh, from Pat Shermer's system to DeFilippo. He said that during his introductory press conference. And then you have Kirk Cousins. So everybody else knows what's going on from last year, and it's these two you know, trying to essentially catch up to that level, but also installing kind of their own, you know, their own scheme built around Kirk Cousins. So I'd say kind of tread lightly. I know that there's going to be some, of course, some overreaction of how's he doing? How's he look on the first few days? 
all I'm looking for is to see his connection with his wide receivers, um, to see if that throwing session in Atlanta, which, you know, mind you, was, you know, one time um, back in April, how much that paid off and just building that chemistry and how he works on its timing. Because the one thing that you're going to see with Kirk Cousins that is almost kind of absent that we saw with Case Keenum is the ability to really take off and scramble, really extend plays. Not saying he can't, but Keenum was on a much different level uh, being able to improvise than Kirk Cousins was. And of course, if you pay the guy $84 million, you expect him to get the ball out quickly. But can he do that behind this offensive line in the right side? I don't know. Yeah, this is the beginning of chemistry with those wide receivers. Sometimes with the quarterback, though, I... And with any of this, really, for how people look and what we're taking away from OTAs, it's more about what we get from being talked to by the coaches, by the players, what we take away from the things they say rather than what we see. And I think about with Cousins, Sam Bradford showed up here 10 days before the season, sat out week one, and then beat Aaron Rodgers in week two. (laughs) It's like, okay, I mean, we can make too much out of things sometimes, but you're right that it starts now where they're implementing this offense and how everyone is fitting in. And what I'm really interested to see is with to that end, with Cousins and the wide receivers, where Kendall Wright fits in all this. Because Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, one in 2016, the other in 2017, were the predominant slot receiver, and they both had a lot of success in doing it. And Kendall Wright is more of a slot receiver. So where does he end up lining up the most? And also, when I've looked back at the Eagles' offense from last year, I mean, they move everyone around almost every play for whether it's two-by-two or three-by-one or who's the slot and who's the outside and all that stuff. And maybe we get a little bit of a glimpse of that. They know we're there. So it's not like, hey, guys, here's the whole offense. We're going to run right in front of the media so you could videotape it. Um, but at least maybe get some of the hints. Uh, my next one, did you have more on that? Well, I just think that, you know, you bring up a good point with that of, you know, where Thielen and Diggs fit in. And, I mean, now, you know, they, they raised themselves to elite status last year. So I think the best thing for Kirk Cousins' sake to take his game to the next level um, is that he's got – pieces that you could you know throw into the slot potentially I know that Kendall Wright will if if he does indeed grab this number three role that's primarily where he'll be um but you can have them on deep routes you can have them you know on crossing routes going you know which which is what you expect within like the I guess the the principles of a west coast scheme that there would be a lot of those um and you can have them out of the slot so I'll be curious to see with what we're able to see how much of how much movement there is going on. I don't think there will be a lot the first few weeks. Maybe we'll see it during minicamp, um, but it's going to take some time. I mean, there's this is the reason I wasn't you know gung ho on a twelve and four prediction right away because there's there's some because you hate the team. Yes, because you're negative. Because I am a negative person. I'm, I'm tired miserable. of the negative media. Personally, um, is it fake news? No, it's not fake. No, it's it's not really. It's just a prediction. Okay. And so people really shouldn't. I hope someone take comes back to me when when it's not when they actually go like eleven and five or twelve and four and say you were fake news. Oh, I hope so. Did I, you pick? What did you pick? Ten and six. I, I had ten and six also. But and I just I just think that there's going to be kinks that need to get worked out within this offense that are just natural. Um, between you know a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback and. Now's the time to do it because, as you know, we talked about this. It's kind of the unofficial kickoff to 2018 because the off season, you know, while this still is the off season, they're actually getting some work in. The whole team is on the field for the first time together, and that's important. 
And because it is the unofficial, sort of official for us kickoff of 2018, a little later in the podcast, we have uh, some fun things we wanted to look back at from 2017 to finally close the door on it. But the next thing on my OTA list is Mike Hughes and Mackenzie Alexander and where they line up or what they say about their potential roles or if Mackenzie Alexander says anything. He has mostly been uh, un- unavailable, I guess would be the nicest way to put it, <laughs> throughout his career, really. I mean, these first couple of years, he has very rarely talked with the media about what has gone wrong so far and what he could potentially do to earn a spot. And uh, it looks to me like that's the battle between the first-round pick and then the 2016 second-round pick for who's going to end up at that nickel spot. I don't think that they would want Terrence Newman to play as many snaps as he did last year. I agree with you. And I, I just think that with Newman, it's he, they're better served if he's in a rotational defensive back role, if he can fill in where needed and let this competition essentially go down to Alexander and Hughes. And they didn't bring Hughes in to take the nickel corner role, but if they're by you know some chance he does, they have a really cerebral player on their hands because a he hasn't played a lot of slot before, and b that's a tough position. That's why, you know. When Mackenzie Alexander, I wrote something on this last week, how how this whole thing kind of, why why drafting a lot of corners has worked for them in the past, and then, you know, where it's kind of bit them, and where it bit them was in 2016 when they did draft Alexander. Um, it was fine for a while, but then, you know, they get rid of Cap, they let Captain Munnerland walk in free agency because they needed some, it was like $8 million in cap space. Um he didn't have enough time uh, to really learn that position. He played like, what, 12, 12 to 20% of defensive snaps his rookie year. He didn't play a lot. And then last year, Terrence Newman wins that job, and, and Alexander only plays 30% of defensive snaps. I think, in, regardless of what Mike Zimmer said to us on draft night in this room we're in right now, I do think that drafting Mike Hughes pushes Mackenzie Alexander and really is more of an indictment on kind of how they feel about him and his progress and where his ceiling is. Yeah, I don't think you draft a guy just because you can never have too many corners. If you really bought into Mackenzie Alexander as the answer at nickel and you knew you were bringing back Newman – you wouldn't have a reason to draft the, that guy first. You would have just drafted Will Hernandez or whatever offensive lineman there and then just moved on with your life. It had to play into that conversation. There is no such thing in football in the first round as, oh, we're just taking best player available. I don't think that's what happens. Baseball, hockey, where the guys need five years of development or more, sure, that's what they do because you never know if you'll need pitching in 2020. But with football, where they can make an impact within the first or second year, you're definitely thinking about needs. So it's clear that they saw that as a need, and Alexander will have a chance to prove them wrong. What's the next one on your list? Uh, I don't even have it up. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, slacking over here. Okay, Let I can me... give you the next one on mine, and then you can maybe have. Well, I, I know him off the top draft. of my head, uh, Dalvin Cook. Yep. Where Mike Zimmer uh, told NFL Network the other day that he's ahead of schedule with the rehab, and I mean we've kind of heard a lot of the same stuff. Eric Sugarman talking uh, back in April, saying that that six and a half month mark was this of post op was the sweet spot. Um, he had a relatively slow start of rehab, and I remember, I remember we talked to him about that, kind of how frustrating that was um, for him to go through early on. He, I, you know, he's going to be limited in OTAs. I think watching outside of you know for the running back group is like, okay, how's Dalvin progressing? What is he doing? But more importantly than that, 
what the competition for the change of pace back, number three back, looks like. Yeah, is Mac Brown going to be the guy? He was in attendance in that. He uh, was at the passing session. Yeah, so maybe Mac Brown has a leg up because he has former experience with Kirk Cousins. He didn't play much in Washington, though. I just I, you look back at his last few years, he just doesn't have the experience, and it's you know, is there a reason for that? Do teams not trust him in that role? I don't know. Yeah. I- they had kind of a rotation in 2016, right? And the rotation was pretty successful. So he just didn't really have a spot. So I understand that. But even last year, I mean, you bring this guy in, you already had your three running backs. I didn't really, I never understood it then. Um, But now, I mean, this is a good chance for him to break out. You know, he's got two undrafted free agents who are pretty highly thought of and Mike Boone and Rock Thomas who are going to be challenging for that competition. I'm excited to see what that looks like. Mike Boone and Rock Thomas sound like a WWE. I was about to say, I don't know anything about wrestling, but it sounds, I figured that's where you were going with that. It sounds like a wrestling duo. Rock Thomas. Then they rise up out of a coffin or something and. People's elbow. Yeah. Is that the thing? Uh, It's something. People who know more about wrestling would have to help me out there. The next one that I had on my list was if any of these hyped undrafted free agents get discussed during OTAs, if. Uh, Hercules Mata'afa, who's from Washington State, had a bunch of sacks at Washington State but played defensive tackle. Is he going to be a linebacker on the team website? He's now listed as a D-end, so that changed. Did they change it again? They did. They Why? changed it from linebacker to D-end. He's 6'1", like 250. He's not play- this is not going to be like the John Randall of 2018. He's not- don't okay, know I'm, that. I'm sorry, I'm just being don't a jerk. Know that. Negative. It's fake news. Um, but the linebackers stuff is, you know, take a look at the special teams role that he'd have to fight like heck to get it. But Kentrell Brothers is suspended for the first four games of the season. Emmanuel Lemur is gone. There are spots to be filled. Um, and I would, you know, I, he's somebody who intrigues me a lot. Holton Hill. Um, yep. Where, you know. How the Vikings are going to keep, I know they'd love to keep nine cornerbacks if it's going to be anywhere in the six to seven. I think that's a little much, but somewhere in that range, how he fits in there. I know that the Vikings gave him a pretty big um, signing bonus to they be did. here. Yeah. So those, and Trey Matthews, I, I know that we're not talking about him a lot, but I really was intrigued when I watched his uh, college film from Auburn uh, right around the time of the, like, day three of the draft. And there is some opportunity there at safety still. I, I think, I think they, there's more opportunity there than there is a cornerback. Yeah, I think so. They they like Anthony Harris, and they trust Anthony Harris. So we know he's going to be there, especially since he played fairly well when he had to fill in last year for Anderson Dayhill. Jaron Curse, though, another guy that is in year three and the first two years outside of his punt gunning, the first two years Spectacular were... Spectacular punt gunning. See, he was very good at punt gunning. But the first two years were rocky, yeah. and there may be an open spot there. I'm also interested to see if Holton Hill takes some reps at safety because in college he is excellent tackler, mm-hmm. and he's big. He's over six feet tall, and even though he isn't 220 like a lot of safeties or safeties used to be, I guess, uh, if he can cover back there and then come up and make plays in the run game like that and make an impact, then he might have somewhat of a defensive back role or eventually become a safety. Yeah. So those guys, I think the undrafted free agents are definitely worth watching. Yeah, no, for sure. I think seeing where the position battles start to form, because um, then you have your six weeks, you come back, who looks different? Who's you know who's performing better starting at the end of July than they were maybe 
beginning of May. Who picks up the system quicker? The guys who stay up here. I mean, you take a look at all those factors, and they all start in OTAs. Um, I think I, we we pretty much had a lot of the same ones. Um, initial impressions of the stacked defensive line was one of mine. Um, and I just think that because it's, we, we've talked so much about Kirk Cousins this offseason and, you know, the draft class, and I feel like we've talked more about Mike Hughes than we've talked about Sheldon Richardson. Definitely. Yeah, because I think we just decided, like, he's good and he's going to be a handful. How how much better he is than the Shamar Stefan and Tom Johnson combination have you? Um we're not going to see that during OTAs. That's, but it's something I think as you look towards. Unless he's tr- really aggressive. I mean, there's no contact. Like <laughs> he's he's not going out there to try to kill anybody or try to get himself hurt because that's against the rules until training camp. But I keep an eye on him just because they were so gung ho about filling that three technique spot and making that better because there's so much to his game where he hit he had it kind of like hit a ceiling. Um, in with the Jets and then kind of came back down to earth a little bit with Seattle, obviously, you know, scheme shift, all of that, you know, having him back in a four, three scheme, uh, to where he knows it now, he's not too gapping to how he fits that role and him next to Linville Joseph. I think that you're going to be in the conversation if you're Minnesota as one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, but on top of that, the depth factor. I'm really intrigued by which one, which of these younger guys, the Stephen Weatherly's, Deshaun Bowers, uh, Jaleel Johnson, and then you know the, the draft picks, um, Jalen Holmes and Adea Aruna. Who, how does that eight man or even nine man? How does that, how does that rotation work? You know, when are you, how deep do your reserves really go? Um, to be able to have those fresh legs on passing downs um, and, and keep the pass rush going. And since you were soft and couldn't do one episode, uh, not football enough, to grind through your illness, yes. uh, they signed David Perry. Yes, they did. Last Former Indianapolis last Colt. Last Wednesday. And they re- yeah, they released, uh, what's his name, uh, Dylan Bradley. Yes. So they've got more depth at the defensive tackle spot, which is good because – that, to me, shows they really want to get Jalen Holmes up to speed quickly because they know Sheldon Richardson might be gone. And, and Perry gives you the Shamar Stefan role, yep. I think, as someone who could play backup nose tackle if Linval Joseph gets hurt. You still look at a lot of the defense. Like, if anyone gets injured at every position except for corner, you are in a lot of trouble. At, at this moment right now, unless somebody rises up as being a really reliable backup safety or a really reliable backup linebacker. Right now, who is behind Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks? I mean, you, you lose Emmanuel Lemur, who was shaky at best anyway, and then is it Mata Afa is going to play that spot? Ben Gideon is really a one-dimensional run stuffer. I wouldn't want him playing huge snap numbers. And the same thing goes for these defensive linemen somebody's going to have to kind of step up and prove it because they didn't go out and get someone in free agency who was proven. Well, I mean, as Mike Zimmer said, the Mike Hughes signing allows him, at least in his head, to concoct all of these sub packages where we're probably going to be seeing four corners out there with a safety. So maybe, I mean, they're barely in their base defense anyways. So maybe they're less concerned for that reason with the linebacker depth. But you're right, behind Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks, who do you have? 
that you could really go to right now. Yeah, and if I mean, outside Ma- of like meaningful special team snaps, what is there? And if Mata Afa is going to compete at defensive end instead, which is really crowded, I just wonder if that's a typo. But I mean, I guess you know he played it in college, so yeah, it might not be something to really look into. But when I noticed that, it was surprising. Yeah, that he had been moved from linebacker to defensive end, especially since Zimmer had talked about guys who have done that before, gone from defensive tackle in college because they were undersized to linebacker like Mata Afa has. But there might be some opportunity there for him to be that backup. That would be one of my bigger concerns is who would fill in that spot. Right now, we don't know that yet. Um, so is, is there anything else that you're looking for for OTAs? And we will certainly be podcasting again soon, soon if not tomorrow. even tomorrow, <laughs> I mean, about what we've come away with. I think the key cog for this whole equation on offense, because we haven't heard from Mike Remmers, that to me is, you know, Kirk Cousins aside, um, all the new players aside, John Filippo aside, all of that. I want to know where Mike Remmers is playing next year, this season. I know that it's going to change, but I want to know what the last few weeks of the offseason program have looked like and what the projection is for him, what he thinks about um, – Brian O'Neill and the possibility that he may be taking over at right tackle. I think that once you can flush out with a little bit more certainty Remmer's situation, things might start to get might start to get a little bit more clear. But that to me is the number one position I'm looking at right tackle. Okay, so we will be breaking all that down, and I'm going to try something new this year to include some sound that we gather if it's not too windy up there. They, as I was told, they did install a backdrop the other oh, day. So okay, that's exciting. So full-time staff members will not have to hold it up there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other day it was a wind tunnel or when we were up here for rookie minicamps, so yeah. all of the audio was pretty much ruined. But uh, if that doesn't happen throughout all of training camp for different press conferences and stuff, try to include some of that so we're not always just saying, well, he said or he said that, but you can actually hear from them directly. So that will take tons of work, send money. Um, before we officially move on to 2018, I wanted to just look back a little at some of the bizarre and strange things or funny things that happened in 2017. You know what happened in I've all the games. I've got to pull up my list. You, yes. You know what happened in all the games. You know how it ended, all those things. But we always just sort of go the day-to-day and move on pretty quickly. So we made some lists here of... The things that we will remember and laugh about forever in 2017. Where do you want to begin? I'll start with, um, I sent you my list. So we have, and you have your list out? I have my list, yes. So so just as a precautionary thing, a lot of these are inside jokes, essentially. Um, some things you're going to hear and like say, that's not funny. But you had to be there. So we'll explain the context and the circumstance. Um, I guess, you know, these are either funny and or strange and or just completely bizarre. I think if you listen Um, to the podcast regularly, you will know at least some of all of them. Which is why I'm going to start with the most obvious one, because this is pretty much the bane of our existence and why this podcast has um, grown in popularity, I believe, because of our obsession with the long snapper. So back in the 2000... That's exactly why it's grown. Yes. In the uh, divisional round against the Saints, most of you remember in the third quarter there was a blocked punt. Um, It was not at the fault of Ryan Quigley by any stretch of the imagination. Really wasn't at the fault of Emmanuel Lemur, the linebacker who kind of last second had to change his coverage. 
But the long snapper they signed the day after Kevin McDermott went down with a shoulder injury in Green Bay, a one Jeff Overbaugh, um, missed his assignment. He went the wrong way. And uh, we have we have actually broken down the tape. Like we're not just saying we watch the tape. We've it's it's a screensaver on on his phone. I believe when I call. I mean it's uh, second by second. We have looked at literally watched this play maybe a hundred times since January. And the reason that we are so obsessed with this play and why I find it to be really funny is the butterfly effect. So the long snapper, Kevin McDermott, gets hurt in Green Bay. And immediately, if you didn't have this thought, I don't know, you're not a Vikings fan. If you didn't think, oh, no, that's <laughs> going to be the stupid thing that costs us a playoff game because that's, what, that's Vikings history. And for him to go the wrong way and essentially butterfly affect our way into the Minneapolis miracle because this backup long snapper from Alaska came in and went the wrong way in a blocking assignment, to me, is like peak sports. It could have been so bad. And if you could have imagined what that press conference would have been like had they lost (laughs) that game and the bus that would have been driven over Jeff Overbaugh proverbially by Mike Zimmer for, for... the blocked because that obviously that led to the short field and then the touchdown there and then you wouldn't have had Kai Forbath's field goal um, to tie up the game and then obviously the Saints take the lead and none of this would have happened. Um, so it, I guess it could have it, it did create it led way foreshadowed the the greatest play in postseason NFL history, but it also the, the season literally could have ended not because of an injury to the number one pass rusher who had to play through plantar fasciitis or because Case Keenum, you know, the lightning in the bottle burned out. It would have ended because of a long snapper. And Let it, that sink in. Yeah, and they needed every single second to win the game. I mean, they win it on, on a walk off on the last play, and if they had punted it long to Drew Brees. I mean, maybe he takes longer to get down there, and that wears out some of the time, and maybe we never have that. Maybe they still win the game, but we never have the Minneapolis Miracle because of a backup long snapper who was released as soon as they could, and you'll never hear of him again, which is what makes it even more funny and bizarre. So I don't know if other people find this as strange as we I think do we have some groupies on this pod we've got the overbought groupies who, no i think it is love that our obsession with this so oh, okay. we appreciate anybody who's listening right now we do appreciate the fact that you love how nuts and in detail the nuts and bolts of this whole thing that we get because it's just the nerdiest of nerd stuff that we like to dive into here on the purple podcast and this is one of them and if you're wondering, yes, we did research Jeff Overbaugh's background in social media, and we did find the New Orleans Saints website oh breaking down the play and blaming the wrong person. They blamed Emmanuel Lemur. Poor Emmanuel. Um, who else was? Great guy. I'm trying to think. What was the word he said about how the center was, destroyed um, Overbaugh? It was like, something like an injustice of execution or yeah, something. It, it was, was something like that. There's some good adjectives there. Um, we could we could do a whole show dedicated well, to that, which we probably should this offseason. At some point. July is a long we, month. We can go through it frame by frame, especially his face when he's being manhandled to the ground. What do you think he's thinking at that very moment? Like, oh, my God, my football career is over? Does or? he know that he went the wrong way at that moment? I think from from what I had heard that he went to the sideline and he was asked like what the heck he's like I didn't know where I didn't know the the blocking scheme. How? How'd you go out? Why did you go out there? 
Um, oh my god. Okay, so moving on to the uh, next one on we my list. We have so many. We have we, so many. we have so we'll do like a couple in depth and then rapid fire. Yes. Uh, kombucha. Forever, okay. kombucha will be funny. If I see it in a store, if I hear the word, if Michael Floyd comes up, the immediate first thing you say is kombucha. Well, Mike Zimmer did say that, what was it, was it OTAs last year or was it training camp? Where he said, I will cut him if I find out he's lying about, and what that was, was he was under, he's obviously on probation due to the extreme DUI that he got in Arizona and then had to, you know, breathalyze um, and blew some sort of sample and he blamed it on kombucha tea drinking, which is fermented fruit essentially, which is what people in, like, Long basically, this is what people in prison make. It's called hooch. It's the, it's the, it's the fermented fruit. I watch Orange is the New Black, and they make alcohol out of it, but it's also something that's for probiotics, digestive. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but it's, it's, it's sold as something like, you know, good, good for your stomach health. So clearly he's worried about his stomach health, but um, it also had an alcoholic effect that, you know, could have cost him. I mean, the Vikings took a risk. They swung, you know, Get signing this guy, and then that happens not long after. Or at least he claimed that it had an alcoholic effect, and that was why he blew uh, traces of alcohol or whatever. But the the story never added up, for one. I mean, it clearly didn't add up. Because if even if you were drinking it right there, the next one that you did would have showed up with none, unless you just pounded kombucha I mean, yeah, how much time. kombucha was he drinking? Right. Like, you would have had to have it right on your lips at the very moment that you were blowing Because it really is only traces of alcohol. I'm not, it's, I don't know if mouthwash is more... I think they got rid of alcohol content. in mouthwash. Oh, well, that shows you the, how much I know. At least the Listerine that I swish around with says right on it, no alcohol. So maybe it's just that, but I thought they tried to, like, move away from that. Because too many people were just, like, chugging it <laughs> under bridges. Right. Uh Yeah. Not great. Um, but then my favorite part of the kombucha story was that when he went back to a judge in Arizona, he had some sort of quack doctor expert from Wyoming to claim that the kombucha could have had this effect. And this person is like professionally an expert who will claim whatever you want them to claim for a certain price. Good and Lord. just this whole thing. And the best part is that he caught like 10 passes. Like we went through all ninety-one this stuff. yards, something like that. Hey, he almost had he had that nineteen-yard catch in Chicago. He, it was I a great will, catch. I will remember that. It's the only one I will. We remember. We went through all that and the the, the the catch that was meant for him that was intercepted. Teddy's second pass he attempted that was meant for Michael Floyd, was it not? It was meant. For, it was McKinnon. Meant for McKinnon. But Floyd dropped one. Floyd dropped one. He dropped the first one. McKinnon's the one who was intercepted. Anyways, he wrecked Teddy's comeback. Teddy could have had a completion there <laughs> and probably never throws the pick if he could have just brought that in. So those are by far the two favorites. Uh, a couple other on my list that I could just buzz through. Um, Aaron Rodgers dissing Anthony Barr to Conan O'Brien or claiming that Anthony Barr had been dirty. Like, how about that for a Mad Lib? It's well, just like, I didn't see that coming. It was pretty amazing, too, because Barr kind of had his mea culpa in the locker room. Like, I'm not try- I wasn't trying to hurt him. I respect him. He's a future Hall of Famer. Nothing but respect for this guy. And then the Conan thing comes out. They're in London, so obviously the time changed. So I remember it was a Saturday afternoon at like 3 o'clock. See Anthony Barr go off on Twitter like, man, screw you for saying all this stuff. I take it back. I take back all the nice things I said about you. I would probably do a crotch grab if I was right here. Um, he didn't say that part. Well, that's right. I, mean, I forgot about the crotch grab. Well, Fox, did, Fox kind of showed it 
Like it was, it was never on any replays. You can't find it, but it's definitely part of that because that was apparently he's on the ground screaming at him, um, and Barr kind of does the Baker Mayfield, uh, but yeah, Barr Barr was definitely no holds bar uh, at that wow. point. Uh, the yeah the the Subruder film that someone dug up on Twitter with the slow motion where you could just barely see over the coach's shoulder there in the background is Bar grabbing himself <laughs> like oh man yeah that that whole thing had many tentacles to it that made it much funnier yes. um, the Stephen Ridley era I wrote that down it was a great five days they signed Stephen Ridley we talked about his background how he'd been on this team and that team he did an interview at his locker. And then was released before the next game. <laughs> he was. I remember I wrote the the day the transaction came through. It was a Wednesday. And he was the he, on the Mississippi Independent High School, so like the private schools, number three or number one all-time rushing list. I only know that because I covered those schools at one point. It's not just a random fact that I wanted to pull out. But I was like, yeah, I get to talk to this guy about Natchez Academy or wherever the heck he went to school. So, And that never happened because I missed that press conference because I was outside getting Zimmer. So I'm glad you got to talk to Stephen Ridley. A couple from Laquan Treadwell. Uh, a, Laquan Treadwell saying he had never tried technique before. Didn't know what a route tree was. Laquan Treadwell running stadium steps, which would eventually get ripped to shreds by Mike Zimmer at the following combine. And Laquan Treadwell getting injured while fighting a player who got cut. Yeah, there were there were several. Um, I think Zimmer at the combine this year just basically saying... He's not, he's, you know, it's not, we're not questioning his work ethic. It's how he's working um, with the whole, you know, he brought up the stadium steps things, I think twice, like to us as the media. And it was kind of aggressive you know, t- talking about catching a thousand passes after practice. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Um, I think some other ones, uh, Zimmer saying he's not going to evaluate players in the media and then continues to do so. I believe that that was a question you had asked him about Nick Easton. Uh, where he got injured in the Chicago game. This is the Tuesday after the Monday Night Football game, and Zim just kind of lost it. He was just—I think he was frustrated because Sam, you know, re-aggravated his knee the game before, um, the day before, and then it was just kind of like, well, you know, where? What's the direction of this team going? We're five weeks in, and there's all this cluster. And he's like, I'm just not evaluating players in me. It's like that's what you do. That's your job. <laughs> And he loves that, too. He loves evaluating players. He he loves being able to say that Kirk Cousins is good in the boots. That actually should have been on my list, but it wasn't. But now it is. Well, I mean, that's technically 2018, though. I mean, that's the 2018 season. He he talked. Where do we draw the line? Well, no, that's free agency. Okay. Technically 2018 free agency, but for the purposes of this, it's not. It happened before OTAs, and as we said, OTAs is the official, unofficial. Okay, sure. So I win. Okay, you win. Um, and it was still funny that he said he was good in the boots. Um, love it. But but Zimmer, frustrated Zimmer at times, can be the best. I mean, him going off about Case Keenum throwing the interceptions in Washington, saying he, quote, went off the reservation, <laughs> saying he ex- gets too excited at times. I mean, Zimmer quotes are always going to be on the list of the, the best things. quote. Yes. I mean, anything that really talked about, like, Case Keenum's manhood, because he brought it up yeah. at multiple points. I kind of felt uncomfortable because I'm just like, wow, I have to really say the word big balls, and I did not want to say that. And I, just I would have did. preferred you didn't just now. I know. Um, I didn't do it on TV. I definitely said, I think. Um, guts. Did you say guts? He's gumption. Got, he's got, he's got, gumption. Gumption's a good one. Um, cojones. I hate that word. God, I feel so. I feel like. 
Anyways. Uh, a couple more on my list. Sean Payton mocking the skull chant, then getting miracled yeah, was, was very amazing. funny. Uh, also, Eagles fans throwing full beers at Vikings fans. That will be unforgettable forever of us walking through that parking lot and seeing what a bleep show that thing was. And, and we only saw the very beginning. Yeah, we didn't have to walk that far, and it was still pretty early. And they were still like all, already getting going. And then the videos that came out and people coming back. Now, even funnier is we got stuck in Philadelphia, and so did a bunch of other Vikings fans. So they got whooped 38-7. They had full beers thrown at them by Eagles fans, and then they got snowed in to Philadelphia. So That's it was a, that was not a pretty a great miserable weekend. weekend. Not a great weekend. All right, what I've else got a few have? more. Um, let me start here. So you got Chad Wadaway. Some the questionable ones that we still and it's not all funny, but like the decision to keep Bradford in the game in Chicago when clearly, I mean, the second sack wasn't enough. You had to watch him get sacked and destroyed in the end zone for the safety like two more times. Memorably um, bizarre. Very bizarre. Yeah. And I know that the Vikings came out the next day to stand by the decision to keep him in, but anybody watching TV that night saw that he was not physically able to be in there. Um, okay, Stephen Ridley era. Um, Can I throw you a curveball here? Sure. Do you like what was your favorite non-playoff game from last year that you just to? Co- I mean, you covered all of them, so like to for whatever reason to cover the city you went to, the game. What which one comes to mind right away when I say what was your favorite game from last year? The Detroit game, just the way that they won that was that uh, Detroit at um, on Thanksgiving Day. That was a big one for me. Um, I remember just. You know all the the storylines of that game, and you know how the the was it a holding penalty that that call, that brought back the um, remember they had the was it a blocked oh yeah it was a yeah blocked field goal and and were they was it a defensive holding I think so because I remember like I looked up because I was lining up over the center it was something weird yeah it was definitely that would have cost the, it cost them the game and just seeing kind of how they won that was their first real test. Um, late down the stretch. So that one was nuts. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, the Tampa Bay game, I mean, that was a big game for Keenum. That was a big win for them. There were a few. I thought, you know, going to Chicago for me, that was my first um, my first Vikings uh, game covering the Vikings in my hometown. That was kind of cool. I think it was, for me, the Rams game because it felt like yeah. it, it was on. Like, we were sort of, okay, they're winning, they're pretty good, but we don't know how good, and the second half of the season is tough, so we'll see what happens. And then after Mike Zimmer owned Sean McVay for a day, it was like, okay, this yeah. like this might be a legitimate Super Bowl team. Well, that was the time, I think, it, the, the tide turned for everyone because you hold the most potent offense in the NFL to seven points. I mean, that's crazy. Um few more here. Uh, Rogers, Aaron Rodgers uh, on the conference call, remembering the time, like I asked him about Everson Griffin just because I was getting ready to write that story, as everybody was, about him tying the sack record. Uh, and he's just, he didn't really talk about it much as a defensive end. He remembered the time back in like 09 that he was a punt gunner. So Hall of Fame recall for Aaron Rodgers. Um, Latavius Murray telling us his ankle was a problem and then recanting and saying, no, you guys said it was a problem. I never told you that. So the nicest guy in the room who's always honest, realized that that might've come back to bite him. Cause I think Zimmer probably told him, what are you doing? Stop talking. Um, do you ever watch the office? I, I used to watch it going to sleep in college. So you're familiar with like the Michael Scott character sure. and how often he will say something and sort of get a sense for someone's reaction and then try to say the opposite thing. <laughs> 
Like, all right, I'm leaving the office, so uh, nobody has to work for the next few hours. And then it's like, wait, no one has to work? I mean, work extra hard while I'm gone. <laughs> you know, like, that was, no, my ankle doesn't hurt. You said my ankle hurts. Yes. No, I said my ankle doesn't hurt. Like, it did. It was obvious. But then it healed and it was fine. It's, yeah. It's okay. And then there were a few with Everson. Um, the one I thought was just bizarre is... He's playing in garbage time against Cleveland. Yeah. And he goes down, he sits down and rips his shoe off, and everybody's wondering, oh my gosh, did he seriously get hurt? And he's able to play through it, but he developed, he, you know, plantar fasciitis from that. So that was kind of a bizarre moment. Him uh, ripping up his shirt on Thanksgiving yes. Day to reveal that he was having, or that he, his wife had had a child. The, earlier that morning. Um, his monologue then in the locker room later in the week about um, how his son was really enjoying eating. And we're not going to go into the graphic nature of that, but he kind of was insinuating about, um, you know, how much his son was really enjoying breastfeeding. So it was very odd. I think he was trying to make a joke, and it just did not come across correctly. Talk about uncomfortable levels, just going up to eleven at that point. Like, do you remember his strange <laughs> rant in uh, London? What, I, we, I was trying to figure this out. Was he talking about the hilt there at the Hilton or whatever? Was it the bed that was going up and down or the window shades that were going up? He ended his press conference, like, on another level, another planet. And all, of course, the London reporters are eating this up. But he just had, like, a really weird exchange. Talking about, like, I love staying here. The, the window shades go up and down. They go right and left, this, that, and the other thing. Like Them practicing in a field near cows in London. Yes. Even though we weren't there. But seeing the pictures of them, that's that's pretty funny, too. The whole London thing is hilarious anyway. All the London reporters, so do you think football could work in the NFL? Uh, <clears throat> yes, I do, as I have been instructed by Roger Goodell to inform you that we have enjoyed our experience. I feel like Everson like, was pretty blunt about that after because they had the they streamed all those press conferences and his was kind of like, nah, <laughs> I'm, good, I'm, good in, I'm good stateside, I'm going to chill here. Um, got any other ones? No, I think that that is it for me. Although, uh, if you folks, as always, want to tweet them and email them if we forgot any, because it's a long season, it's become my favorite part. So this is, that was your first year. My first year was one of the craziest seasons ever, 2016 mm -hmm. with Zimmer, with the eyeball and all that stuff going on. So that was even, even crazier than last year. But I feel like one of my favorite things is when we get to the end of a season and going like, gosh, remember all those wacky things that happened? Because on a day-to-day -day basis, you're just kind of like writing it and then moving on to the next thing and then the games and everything else. So that is our official, okay, we're uh, only talking about the future now, not talking about the past anymore. Well, we we could still bring up Overball. Yes, Overball right? forever. Okay. OB4EV. Number four, EVA. Overball forever. All like right, that. that's that's enough of podcasting for today. So we will have a recap of everything we come away with from OTAs coming up soon. And I've got some other cool things, some interviews, some guests on the Purple Podcast for the offseason. So you will want to keep downloading it. All right, have a good day. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with VentureX. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The VentureX card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.